Sam Ochoa. It's been a minute since I've talked to you, and I'm going to hit you with a banger of a question today. And my question for you is, what is the value of classes focused on GT students? Do we even need these classes? Does it, does it do anything for these students? What are, what are your thoughts on this subject? Wow. I did not expect that question. <laughs> GT students. And you're saying, should we have classes that focus just on them? Or yeah, or any in any capacity. Does it does it benefit these students to have any type of curriculum that just hones in and focuses on them? It does. Um, there you go. There's your answer. Why? 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 Um, First of well, all, let's give social... your. You have credentials here. What do, What are your I credentials do, with GT? Well, I mean, I just have my master's in gifted education. So. So you're not just making up your opinion. Well, I did take classes to develop my opinion, yes. I've had 36 hours of classes, and uh, we also had a camp uh, that we do that they give every summer, and that was our practicum. So we had to actually run a GT camp and create the curriculum for it. So, yes, I have created GT curriculum. So what is the, what is the benefit of this? Why do we do this? Because the 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 trend is is leaning away from this. There are states um, yeah. where where this is becoming less popular. They're they're moving away from it. They're saying we should teach all kids um, in, with the same methods. Why did GT kids get certain things? So I just wanted. I figured this would be a nice little. This is going to come around to our topic. So what is the what are the it, ins it and is. outs of your opinion on this? Why why do we have GT classes at all? Well, first of all, why do we have uh, classes for students who, you know, are in resource? Why do we have, I mean, it's not all inclusion, right? And even when we do have inclusion, do we not a lot of times put them all in the same class and call it an inclusion class, which is really not an inclusion class at all. Uh, Everybody has their differences. And if we are to teach all of the children, then we have to teach all of them at the need in which they uh, should be taught. And so it's our responsibility as educators to find out what their needs are. And we do that, obviously, through testing. We, we, we pretty much look at the population in general as a whole. We lump them all together and we say, here, um, 50 per, you know, most of you should range between uh, on a bell curve, if you will. Most of you should range from, let's say, 90 to 90 on each side. And then you have these outliers. And those are the students that often get left out. And they, uh, most of our students fit somewhere in the middle uh, at an average, but we do have um, 10% of our population is typically gifted and 10% of our population test uh, the other direction as well. And so then your highly, highly gifted are in the top 2%. 
and those are your outliers. So, so do we leave them out? I mean, if we don't teach to their needs, which is to be able, it's, it's not that they already know, is that they learn at a faster rate. And they have this, it almost, they learn at such a high rate, some of them, that it appears as if they already know, but but that's not it. They just, it takes one time and they have it, where a typical kid might take 17 times and then they have it. So um, there is a dis, uh, discrepancy between the ability to learn and uh with them and with others. So, so yes. And and the other thing too, is these kids know they're different. They know they're different. They know they, they, I mean, we even have names for them that are, that are derogatory. Do we not? And we do that because they're different from the general population. And, uh, we've even had movies about them (laughs) made, right? Because they're different in the general population. So if we want to teach everyone, then we have to consider everyone. And um, so why do they, they know they're different. And so a lot of times they, they need both. They need to be placed where they're having to learn to live and work and be teammates and colleagues and learners with people that are not like them, but they also need to have, just like everybody, that moment where they get to learn with people that can help push them along uh, because they think at a similar rate and they're similar. So they, for their social and emotional needs, because if you're always different, then uh, it does alter your brain uh, to think that and a lot of times when you're only pushed with the general population and you have a difference, then sometimes they, you know, it makes you feel like uh, you're an outsider. And what we want is we want them to be included in all areas. And so, but we do have to meet their needs. Uh, and there's of course a lot more to it than that, but generally that's my overarching explanation. Yeah. And you know, this is such an interesting thing to me because, you know, as I dip my toes in some of the more, I don't know, hot topic issues, as I do sometimes, I'm planning on having um, a few people on Teach Me Teacher for this upcoming season to kind of talk about this issue because I think it's really fascinating um, because there's this Kind of, you know, it was at first it was like equality and then people were like, well, equity is really kind of the the method equality. Everyone gets the same thing. Equity we get according to our needs, et cetera. And now it's like where we don't want to, there's, there's pushes in certain parts. And I wouldn't say it's even a major part of education. I would say you kind of have to be in the weeds for these arguments or in the States, I suppose, um, Mm -hmm. that are having this Texas isn't one of them, but there are several, uh, and they're kind of pushing for this whole, everyone should just be kind of in the same classes or whatever. But, you know, I think that the idea that's fine, you know, just to say, you know, everyone deserves this kind of education is nice on its surface. But any teacher that's ever sat in a classroom with a variety of students knows that the the more variables you add, the the more challenging and sometimes impossible it is to uh, meet the needs of every kid, right? If you, we've talked about this before. We have in our classrooms, our most struck, our, our most hard to teach classes are the ones that have kids that read at a third grade level and kids that read at an eleventh grade level. 
And you yeah. can't just say differentiate and put a little Band-Aid on it, right? Like there's right. <laughs> there's actual methods of teaching. There are strategies. There are things to take into account that, you know, the more human beings you put into that room, even with an inclusion teacher, um, it becomes more challenging. Like here's the thing. My son, who's autistic, for people that didn't know, he has special needs. He has He's very great at some things. He's not great at other things. He needs a, a variety of techniques to kind of get him to where he needs to be. Uh, he Inclusion is a great idea until he was being unsuccessful with inclusion classes. So you know what we did? We advocated to get him out of some of that time, right? And mm-hmm. so did the, the teachers around him. And that is something that we should have the right to do. Parents should have the right to do that. Educators should have the right to do that. And it's not a negative thing. It's figuring out where their needs are. We, cause this is why, you know, it, it goes so beyond and into kind of my soapbox of programs. This is why programs sell, right? This is why these things sell so well, because teachers are being asked to do, uh, the impossible sometimes they're being asked to pull everyone up at one level and move all of these kids in this variable, uh, thing. And while we do have strategies and we talk about them often because we face the same thing other people do. A lot of people don't have these strategies or don't have the support to do it, or simply they're they're the, what's being asked of them is impossible. So guess what? They buy these programs and they say, "I oh, just put them on this program. They're going to be great. They're going to learn, and you're going to facilitate, and it's going to be awesome, and everyone is going to be better for <laughs> it." And then we end up in this dystopia of education. So I don't know, but ladies and gentlemen, this is Craft and Draft. We're going to dive more into that, but I feel like I should intro the show. That's Pam Ochoa. I'm Jacob Chastain. We're two English teachers down here in the state of Texas, talking about reading and writing workshop, and pretty much everything else that comes to our mind around our profession. Uh, today we're talking about advocacy. Advocating for ourselves, for our teams, for practices, for students, um, and pretty much everything else in between. I love this topic of advocating. I think it's important. I think it's um, sometimes we look through it for certain lenses, but you know, it's summer, or at least it should be. If it's not for y'all, it is for us. It's going to be very soon, unless you're doing summer school, of course. But Uh, advocating is something that a lot of us have had to do in our careers. We've had to advocate for change, advocate for a student, advocate for a practice, advocate to, uh, fight against something that we don't believe in. So, uh, we're probably going to touch on a lot of that today, but before I do, I want to apologize. My son is having a big time. He's just partying in that living room. So if you hear him, uh, just know that he's having a grand old summer. But I want to thank our patrons who support this podcast and keep the show going. They are very active over there on the Patreon, developing a little community over there. It's just going to keep growing. So shout out to them. They support our show at two different levels. Get different levels of perks, including exclusive merch, which we still haven't seen pictures of. If you have received this merch, send me a picture. If I don't get a picture... This week, I'm going to cry, and I'm going to record oh, myself crying, cry. and I'm going to put it on Instagram and Facebook, and everyone's going to know that y'all didn't send me a picture. So send me a picture. I'm deeply curious. You know, what is it like? Um, well, this is kind of a test run, so we just wanted to see. Pam and I do not have access to the, the merch, ironically enough, so that's why we want some pictures. So send me a picture. But that's a different conversation. I want to thank Alicia, Brandy, Leah, Mark, Amy, Sarah, Rebecca, Courtney, and Carol for supporting this show, just like you can over there on Patreon. They get first in line for questions. They get direct access to us and special perks such as bonus episodes no one else will ever hear and special PD videos. We're going to be doing 
at the minimum, two special trainings over there that uh, patrons will either get for free or discounted. We're going to have more news about that coming up. Pam and I are in the weeds trying to plan some of this stuff. So once we do, you guys will know, but that training is happening. And if you're a patron, you will either have full access or a discounted access, depending on your level. So keep an eye out for that. Join Patreon or Patreon if you would like to uh, support us and get those perks and more, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, And with that, let's get to the show. Alrighty, Miss Ochoa, advocating. This is something that we do often. I feel like this whole podcast is advocating. It's mm-hmm. it's it's standing up. It's putting our voices to the to the the world and and talking and and sharing the the messiness of thought. Um, but it really is advocating. We're advocating for workshop. We're advocating for authentic practices. We're advocating for looking at kids beyond data, using data, but beyond that. Um, and I want to know what level do you want to take this at first? We started with, you know, the needs of GT students and kind of went into just students with special needs in general. Um, and we could keep going well, that way, but go well, ahead. you know, if we go that way, I will say that one of the things that I, you know, I used to teach an actual GT class uh, at one of my other schools and it was in reading and I knew that I was probably going to be one of the last, you know, we didn't have a pullout program, but I figured I'd be one of the few teachers that knew exactly, you know, how to handle them. And so what I did is I literally taught them how to advocate for themselves. And we even did some lessons on how to advocate and maybe not in a, in a disrespectful way, Okay, because you can't advocate for yourself in a, in a disrespectful way that will go south or that will not go for you very well. And so, um, but more of a advocating, you know, in the sense that sitting down and explaining, you know, is or asking questions, is there any way we can do this? Can I have that? And if that doesn't seem to work, how to actually create thinking for themselves. So, so if, uh, if they're in a classroom, and the classroom is the same for everybody, right? And it's just that one lesson, and there's really not any differentiation that goes on. I've been in those classes myself. I would say, okay, so here's what would help you. And so I would give them tools that they could use in the future that could help them themselves turn that lesson into something interesting for them. Uh, so because what happens a lot of times is they're sitting there and it's repeating and repeating and repeating and they already know the answer and then can think deeply about it. So if I give them the tools, for example, um, uh, Kaplan's depth and complexity icons, and they they kind of have that, you know, okay, so when the teacher's talking about this, think about how has it changed over time and kind of create your own uh, project with it and stuff like that. So uh, not just advocate only for themselves, but even to advocate their own learning for themselves, you know, like how to, how to manipulate the learning so that they can stay in school and stay focused. Because a lot of times these GT kids, they get bored, they misbehave, or uh, if they don't have a way to deal with it, a lot of them drop out. And um, anyway, so those are some things that, that I did uh, when I taught them is I actually taught this, 
taught my students how to kind of advocate for themselves. Well, no, I think that's a, I think that's a great point is because, you know, we can take care of kids all we want, but you know, the most we ever get with them is a year two, right? Maybe three, I guess for some people. Um, but it is, it's something that I've talked to them about, you know, because I, well, we have a better team now, so it's not really that prevalent, but I've had people, students in years past where I was like, you're not going to have, um, not every teacher is going to let you independently read. So you're going to have to either do it on your own or ask, right? Encourage teachers to do these things. Not every teacher is going to let you independently ride or, or choose what you want or any of those things. And, you know, I'm not <laughs> telling them to go storm the gates if a teacher doesn't let them, but voice what you want as a, as a student, right? Um, but this is something that, uh, I've thought about a lot because of my son, which is, you know, when we found out he had autism, the best advice I ever got, and it was from other parents of specialty students, they said, said, your job is to now be his advocate, right? Mm-hmm. That's your entire job is because no one understands your kid like you do. I mean, this goes for all parents, but this is, you know, these are unique circumstances because it's, there's so many, I mean, there's so many laws around special needs. There's red tape. There's, uh, kids with special needs are challenging and my child is definitely challenging. So that makes, you know, adults that might not love your kid as much, they're not going to die on as many Hills, right? Everyone has a, a breaking point, so to speak. So that's something that I've had to just kind of internalize and, and really do, uh, and, and be active in, but it's something that I, I think of a lot with, um, just students in general, where, uh, the way this crops up in, I think general ed for me is, is really doing, um, doing, <laughs> thanks. My wife just brought in some pepperoni and cheese. She's hooking me up. She yeah. brought a charcuterie thing. Anyway, uh, it is it's it's standing up for practices that are powerful, right? And this is something that, you know, I, I think we've told the story before, so we might retread some ground, but I think it's okay because we have new listeners all the time. Um is back like several years ago, I would say maybe my second or third year, uh we started doing independent reading or trying, right? Like it was, I always, I've told the story a million times about, I read Donalyn Miller's book and like the next week I changed my classroom completely. And right. And and we started independently reading and my kids were very concerned about what was happening, but we did it anyway. Um, but we were the outliers, right? I was told repeatedly that I was wasting time that kids were just reading or why are your kids just reading or when are they going to do work? And I mean, over and over and over again. And I'm, I'm very fortunate that our literacy coach at the time, our literacy specialist, whatever her title was, uh, advocated for us because she was kind of like our wall, but she gave us the tools. She didn't just say, Hey, we're going to do this. She gave me the literature, right? She gave me Kelly Gallagher and Donalyn Miller, and she showed us articles and we broke down. Uh, I mean, she showed us all kinds of stuff, right? We read scientific articles, opinion articles, uh, data that was pulled from research and all this other stuff. So she armed us with this information. So I no longer 
sat back and said, oh, I just want to do this, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I started having information to back it up. And then, you know, now we're where we are now, where independent reading is is very common where we are, but it was not for a while. Um, and that, I feel like, is where a lot of my advocacy po- crops up these days is standing up for what is good for kids in – in almost, you know, sometimes it, it does come out in defiance, I guess, to certain things that are coming down or certain ideas. And I don't think anything is ever malicious in education. I mean, I would say 99% of what we choose to do isn't malicious. I think it's, there's a lot of factors that make people decide certain things. Um, but things are flexible. I think we've proven that on our campus is that, you know, you can, there's, there's, bad ways to advocate, right? And be a little terrorist and like (laughs) cause cause problems and make everyone angry. And then there's ways to do it um, that are, that are professional and collegial and more of a team oriented uh, perspective. And I think that is, that's something that I've grown into. And I think we've become very effective as a team in doing that. Um, but that, that's the stuff that's interesting to me because it's stuff that we don't talk about in teaching a lot. Like we talk about strategies and we talk about classroom management and we talk about some of the, you know, those things. But rarely do we ever talk about, you know, how, what are you going to do when someone walks into your room and says, why are your kids writing? Why are, oh, yeah. kids, why are kids independently writing, Ochoa, right? What are you going to do when that happens? And I think that's an interesting topic. Well, and I think you mentioned something earlier, and that was information, be informed. And I think if we're going to advocate for our actions in the classroom, um, we need to make sure that what our actions are are actually for the students. And I think think if you put those students first, you're never going to go wrong. So when you're advocating for writing, like you just said, independent writing, independent reading, where it looks like they're just doing nothing, but reading, well, you have to be, as a teacher, you need to know what's all going on. I mean, one thing I know about reading and writing, when you, when scientists map the brain, you know, and they have electrodes on the brain, when people are creating by reading, writing, and doing art or music, those things, when they're actually creating, right, the brain lights up more than any other time. And so knowing that, I could say, well, I'm I'm uh, developing their brains. I mean, so the minute that I am doing that and I can actually back it up with research, then I'm already advocating for the actions that I'm doing in the classroom. And I do think that um, workshop uh, puts the, the kids in the center. And I think when the the kids need to be in the center, I mean, that's who we're teaching, right? And the only way that we really learn is we we learn by doing. And that's what's wonderful about the workshop. I mean, it goes back to the old days uh, for apprenticeship. I mean, it's the same thing. I mean, if I wanted to be a blacksmith, I would go and I would ask for somebody to apprentice me. Actually, tattoos, uh, people who work on tattoos, that's how they they. It. They they are apprenticed to, to somebody for at least twelve months. Don't ask me how I know all this. <laughs> I have no tattoos, <laughs> but <laughs> I do know this. And um, but anyway, I but they they have to be 
apprenticed. They don't just walk in and go, hey, I'm going to own a, a tattoo parlor. They have to be apprenticed. So we still have this practice in real life today. And that's what we're doing in the workshop is we are should be reading and writers, readers and writers ourselves. And then we're imparting that into our students. So we're showing them how to do it, but we're letting them actually do it. And um, and so by doing that, we're creating thinkers. We're creating uh, decision makers. We're, we're creating uh, readers and writers and we're creating intelligence in a way because, you know, we're teaching the students how to how to connect their dendrites. I mean, it goes all the way down. We're actually changing their brains. Every time we let them read and write, talk, speak, share, and think, their brains are changing. And uh, we're growing those brains. And that, that's actually fact. Not only that, when you bring in creativity, uh, we heal brains because... There is also proof there that when you have students who have been through trauma, and just recently in Texas, we've had a lot of students go through trauma that should never be gone through, and um, creativity is one way uh, that will help heal that tra- traumatic brain, uh, and so that is that is another thing that I'm doing. So, so I know this because I've made a point to be informed. Does that make sense? And so therefore I'm more informed, therefore I can advocate. You know, there was, that brought up so many different points, but I was, uh, there was a new year's I'd every year I do. Well, every year, like at new year's right after Christmas, I do a new year's resolution episode on teach me teacher. And there was one, it was my biggest one still to this date. It's one of the most popular episodes I ever did, but I think it was, it was either 2020 or 20, 21. I think it was 2020, maybe 2019. I don't know. It's one of those. I'll have to double check, but it's, uh, it, I said that I said, this is the time to be the, my, one of my resolutions was to be informed that if you want to do something different, right? Cause you, anyone can get a job and just do what they're told. And I think that's fine. If you're in a great place, then you're just going to benefit from that. But there's a lot of outdated practices in schools. Not every principal is a curriculum leader first. Not every coach is a curriculum leader first. A lot of coaches are math people, for instance, right? There's there's all kinds of reasons why even if you're in a great place, you aren't getting the right guidance. And it has nothing to do with anyone being nefarious, uh, bad, ignorant, or anything like that. It's just the the state of how education is done, right? So it's not a it's not a negative on any teams. It's just you have to you have to take your own learning into your own hands, and you have to be willing to to read the research and to jump into it and and to read the experts. And if you're not good at going through research, which I'll be one of the first ones to admit, I've gotten better at it uh, out of necessity, um, but I'm not very good at it, right? I'm reading research is hard. Research is dense. There's all kinds of stuff. You if you're reading research well, you have have to look at kind of the methodology and even then the methodology of learning is really odd, right? This is where we still haven't really covered this on this podcast because I think you and I are still working up the courage to do it. But, you know, the, the addressing the science of reading, um, uh, arguments that are happening in the educational space. You know, a lot of that, one of the problems with it is it's not as direct as that phrase would, would lead you, lead you to believe, um, 
because the the methodology of just finding out how people learn something is really complex because it's all happening inside your brain, right? It's like psych, it's psychology, and it's there's all kinds of things that go on there that are it's just hard. Just because you can track something on an image scan doesn't give us all the information. We can't look at an image scan and go, oh, we need to do this next. And so that right. makes that makes research complex. So if you're not someone who wants to dive into that or even like get fulfilled on doing that, then read the experts in your field and look at the stuff they cite and then you can make an informed opinion about that. But in any case, uh this idea I, w- I want to look at this from a a young teacher's perspective because I feel like the people that are going to find our podcast this summer, um, and they're the teacher, they're brand new teachers, or maybe they're moving contents or something like that. And they're scouring the internet for any piece of advice, right? They're, they're, they're scrounging like, Oh my God, I'm, I got a job or I'm looking for one. I need to have all the information. And honestly, when I was a first year teacher, I've documented well of how horrible I was and how traumatic I was, which this is a really big, not a big tangent, but I posted on Instagram this old post from when the kids, my first year, they just graduated. So this was back in 2019, I think, pre-pandemic. They had graduated, but they had come back and walked our school. And so we had a picture with all of them. They're all like 18 or whatever. And I posted it. And I had so many of them reach out. And they're like, Chastain, you're still the best teacher ever. You were my favorite, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, really? I was I was so bad. Like I was just so bad. So it's even, you know, I, if you're feeling like that, young teachers or early teachers, you know, you might not be as bad as you think you are. Cause I really do think I was bad. Anyway, moving on from that, I had a coach who was amazing. She was, this isn't the literacy coach I was talking about earlier. It was a different coach. She was great. She was a wonderful person, a fantastic teacher. She modeled things for me. She was brilliant. She gave me some great ideas and you know what? She was a horrible coach for me because she didn't she didn't recognize what I need, um, which was I need time to kind of grow and mess up on my own, if that makes sense, right? I need to mm-hmm. do and I need to like feel like I'm making progress and then learn from my failure. Like I need to, I need you to be ready for me to come to you when I go, oh, I failed, right? Can you help me find the errors? I don't need you to tell me something's going to fail beforehand, right? And that's like a, that's just how I learn. I learn by process because I'm creative like that and I get excited by ideas. So if I'm creating ideas for a lesson or a strategy or something like that, and you immediately go, no, that's not going to work. You're ruining my creativity and it makes me not as eager to do something, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. Now, the downside of that is I make a lot of mistakes when I'm learning something new, (laughs) but it keeps me going, right? It's a part of my process. I know this. This is how I've learned to do everything under the sun. And this is what happened, though, is I eventually, it was maybe, I want to say October, but it might have been December, right? It was before the semester. I know that for a fact, but I'm not exactly sure how many months went by. But eventually I spoke up and I said, you know what? Can I have a different mentor, I was like, she's great. I know she's a great teacher. I know she's smart. Like, it's nothing against her. I was like, I need someone who is more comfortable letting me kind of fail up. You know what I mean? Um, 
And so they did that. And I got a different coach who has been on Teach Me Teachers. His name was John Bowles. He was amazing. He supported me for many years uh, as a mentor and teacher mentor. He was fantastic. But what happened was when he started, he understood that. He understood that. And he walked me through a lot of processes and he would let me fail. And there was times when, (laughs) no joke, I would be like, hey, I want to try this. And so I would do it and it would fail. And I'd go, all right, this didn't work. Can you walk me through it? And he was like, well, I knew it wasn't going to work and here's why. <laughs> so he, would, <laughs> he would hold it in, but he let me go through that process. And I grew so much because of that. So uh, I, that was a really long story to get to a, a point, which was if you aren't at the level where you can fully advocate for students because you're still learning the craft, you're still really developing, which I think we all are, but you're, you're to the point where you're still just trying to figure out your job, then I think you should... I think you got to understand who you are. You got to understand what you need as an adult and as a, as a learner, as a teacher and what really fires you up. Because just like some schools may be toxic for you, even though they're great for other people and you need to just go to another school and you'll be happy. You know, sometimes your mentors aren't the right people for you and that's okay. Like you advocate for your own learning, right? Even if your mentors are great, advocate for what you want to learn, what you want to do, what, what inspires you. I think that is, I think that's something that, uh, that we don't talk about either. I don't know. Have you ever had that? Have you ever had a mentor that just didn't fit with you? Well, have I had a mentor? Um, well that too, I don't know. (laughs) I, you know, I'm trying to think back. I, I know You've that I've been a mentor for so long. I've so. been a mentor. I've been a mentor. Yeah, I, I have always chosen somebody that I admire or wanted to aspire to be. So that was one thing. If I, if I had advice for somebody, I would at least, if you don't have a mentor, mentor, find someone that you really aspire to be like and emulate them. And that's one thing that I have done throughout my life is I, I try, you know, I, to do, you know, learn from what I'm seeing. Um, one way of doing that is on your conference period, ask your principal uh, if they don't already have this in place. Can you go watch, ask them who their best teachers are and go and see if you can can watch those teachers uh, and then take notes. I I will tell you that I've had several um principals but it wasn't until I was like 15 years in that we actually had a principal that said hey go go watch some other teachers um but I did have one guy that he he actually was a mentor for the whole district and it was not the district ran now it was my very first district and he was actually the appraiser so they the way they used to do it is I would have four appraisals two from my building supervisor and two from out the district supervisors, someone outside the district. And so they would come in. But one of his advices that he always told me, what he told me, and I always remembered this, he said, if you don't know what to do, do something. Just always do something. Uh, don't do nothing. And he said, especially with discipline, do something. Just make sure it's within the guidelines of the school, but do something. Even if it's move a child, you know, or going over there at proximity and talking to them, but always do something. And so be, being proactive. Um, as far as a mentor goes, um, I, I, I don't know if I've really had a mentor-mentor like they do now. 
I did, I did have to, I did become one and I was in a good position to do that because I started doing the Abydos. So if I had mentors at the very beginning, it was actually now that I'm sorry, y'all, this is really like raw because (laughs) I did not have this answer ahead of time. Uh, This is not, but we had a, a, a lady that was my trainer. And so it would be the, uh, the Abydos, the New Jersey writing project teachers that we had that actually trained me within three or four years of, of arriving to this district. And what they did is we did dialectical novels, they were, uh, uh, those dialectical notebooks, which I mentioned before, but it does help because uh, what we did is we would write on one side what we did and on the other side how it worked or didn't work. And then that's how you can get information, see, again, to advocate for what you're doing in the classroom. But then we would have to turn it in once a month to our um to those mentors, to those trainers that were in the district. That was one way that they used them. And they would have they would review our notes and then they would write their thoughts on there. And then they would give it back to us. And so, yes, I had a mentor from a distance, uh, but that's how they did it. And it really worked well. And I still have my notebook and I still look at it. And I sometimes will look at it and bring back things that I've forgotten that I did that worked. And then I definitely know what's not going to work because I wrote it down. So, but that was one way that I could advocate for myself. And that also gives you um, uh, anecdotal anecdotal research. And so, you know, I would definitely do that, especially if I'm new and just starting out and I would write it all down. So one side of your, it's kind of like our, our notebook that we do now. One side is um, what you do and the other side is, is the actual response to what you've done. And then you could even divide that and put in what you plan on doing next time. So you could create as many columns as you want. Uh, to help you out. But that would be one thing I, w- I might do. Uh, I might even do this next year and see how it works. But I did it a while back. See, forgot about doing that. But that would be one way to find information where you're actually uh, information for yourself. So I want to shift mildly to okay. people who might be on teams because I feel like people that listen to podcasts like this especially the people that come back every week and listen to our insanity. Uh, Thank you, everybody who does that. Yeah, shout out. Um, I, I feel like people that do that, a lot of them, not all of them, but a good portion of them, uh, they they do that because they, they don't really have people that talk this language, right? They don't they don't have you know, it's not like me and you, right? Like we if we didn't right. have this show, we would literally still have these conversations. <laughs> that that's why we decided to do this. To do the show. <laughs> we were just like, you know what, let's record this and uh see what happens. Let's see if other people are interested in kind of the nerdy stuff that we dive into. But um right. And not everyone is this fortunate, right? A lot of people are, they can feel like islands or maybe they're the ones really stretching themselves into this workshop format or uh, if it's not workshop, a more authentic uh, practice, so to speak. Um, And you can feel like an island that way. And so it becomes you, there's a fine line here. And I, I have a certain perspective on this and I think you've seen this in a bunch of, in more ways than I have, but you know, when I 
my, one of my things that drive me, and this is an annoying trait to my friends, is I want to be the person that discovers something first, right? I want to feel like I have unearthed gold, right? It's like, oh my God, because I want to bring it back, right? And I, I want to be Moses at the mountain, you know, to bring back the tablets and be like, I was the one who found these. Um, and that is annoying to some people, but it really does. It, <laughs> it drives me in all honesty to, uh, really do that because it, it excites me. I love to share information that I get. I love to share things that excite me. And you know, when I discovered workshop, I was about two decades or more later than when it was originally like conceived as a, when I was learning about workshop, you were already a seasoned veteran in workshop, right? So it wasn't like new to me, but it was new to my circle. Right. It was new to the the teachers that I was growing up with and learning with. And so it was something that I got to kind of say, hey, this is this is interesting. This is something that I think would be really beneficial or, hey, this is something I've been trying in my room. But this can be it can be isolating because if you're like me and you uh, you take pride in your work, sometimes that can come off uh arrogant or it can come off aggressive or it can come off like you're a know-it-all or something like that. And really it's just passion, right? At least I would say 99% of the way I present myself is a lot of it. It is just me being passionate about something and exciting and or excited. Um, but that's something that people need to worry about. But when it comes to advocating on a team, right, for people that may not have a team that is functional in the way that maybe they're all talking workshop already, or maybe like there's people all around that like, don't do like PLCs yet. Right. I'm always right. like shocked. I like they're like, Oh, we're like two years into our PLC process or something like that. That's something that, you know, with us, you know, we're talking to literally, you know, people all around the world at this point. Um, it's something that I like to take into account is, you know, not everyone is on a team and that does the things we do, that does the practices that we do. So they might be listening to this and going, hey, this is great. And they go read the research and they go read these books and like, oh my God, this is amazing. What do I, how do I bring this to my team? Um, And before we go to that point, I want to ask you just kind of as a reflective question, whether it was a coach or a teacher, you know, I mean, how many times have you yourself or seen other teachers kind of be the, the outlier and struggle to bring something new to a team, whether it was workshop, independent reading, writing, Abydos, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, how many times have you really come across that? Oh, quite often, and not just in English and reading. Right. Uh, let me just use the example of geography. Uh, you know, I I learned geography. You know, I did the social studies alive, which is very similar to workshop type method. I was already a workshop teacher, so my whole thought was teach these kids like they are already geographers, right? So that's what I wanted them to do. And I wanted them, and I, they had a notebook for it, uh, their geographer's notebook. I always called it like that. And I, and when I would address the kids, I would say, all right, geographers, we're going to look at maps today. This is what, you know, whatever. And, um, and I learned a lot of what I got was I had an opportunity to go learn at National Geographic for a, a summer, uh, for at least uh, for, for a whole month of July and a summer ago. And so I had some techniques that nobody else had that I had learned from, you know, the best of the best, right? And when I brought that back, one of the first things that 
National Geographic had us do was go advocate for geographic uh, uh, studies or whatever for geography. And we were assigned to go talk straight to the superintendent. So I advocated to go in that way for geographic studies. They ended up, I ended up speaking to the school board over it. Uh, They had me talk about the technology that was involved and the art view that we were doing at the time and all of this. This was all before GPS was what it is today. And so I was, I, I was doing all of that. Okay. So I got some kudos, if you will, and they moved me to the new school. And guess what? Nobody in there was interested. They were all mad that I got the job. <laughs> they didn't understand that I'd done all this extra work <laughs> to even get the job. And they were like, we are not doing this the way you're doing it, you know? And they went to their worksheets and they did the, read the chapter and do all the questions. And my kids, we were cutting up oranges and uh, creating maps out of oranges. And we were, we were actually going down to the library. I'd already uh, gotten the librarian on board with me. And so she was buying stuff for me. We were buying uh, software that nobody was using except in the cities. And we were actually creating three maps like Google Maps today. We were actually creating those by hand. But the kids, it was all workshop. They were all like, what do you want to create now? Let's create a world. And they would create their own world. And they would all use geographic structures. And they would use this art view. That's what we were doing. And all my colleagues were, well, they had gotten their outline colored maps. And the kids were coloring uh, Europe red and something else blue and that but they were all outlined my kids were all creating the maps they were learning how to create them and and uh all of our maps had different purposes and that's how I taught about the world and and uh, we would read stories about different parts well anyway the point of all of that another long story was I was trying to advocate for this type and and my kids were doing really well. And we were, I was entering them in geographic competitions and we were beating juniors as freshmen. And we were, uh, we were winning uh, a lot of competitions. And uh, I even had parents go, I have a kid in on level, your class and another kid in honors. And why is my student doing all this in on level? You know, they're not doing that in honors. So uh, that kind of stuff was going on. So. I was trying to explain, but I did meet a lot of hostility. And so my, it, it didn't in the long run, um, it upset enough people that I was trying to advocate for myself and for my kids and for the way I was teaching, uh, that it just, anyway, I got, I got moved and was placed in an English classroom where I knew better, but yet, I could teach geography and my kids were great and they, they, they knew the world. I even had a parent years ago um, that had that student and was complaining about all the maps and stuff. So they went to Malta and uh, this parent actually emailed me to let me know we went to Malta and my son knew everything about Malta. Nobody knew anything about Malta, but my son did. How did you do that? You know, cause he said it was all in my class. So I know my kids learned and I, they learned because I let them be creative. They learned because I let them explore. And, um, and I think that if I were to do it again today, I would do it the same way. I think now though, I would, um, 
I would probably demonstrate. I don't know how, I don't know how I would advocate if I came across the same hostilities. I'm not sure. I think it's really hard. I mean, what would you have done? Well, that's the interesting thing is when you are doing something new in teaching and mm-hmm. you're, you're pushing for, I mean, maybe not new in teaching, but like new to your team or something, there are, for some reason, it comes off as a threat, right? And I think a lot of it is mm-hmm. because teaching is extremely personal. Teachers take what they do extremely seriously. Um, it takes so much out of you to be a teacher. It takes so much out of you to plan every single day to come up with engaging lessons and to do things that you think are going to be impactful to your uh, students. Um, and so when you come in with something new, it's like, hey, I'm trying something. Some of that can come off as hostile, right? And I think that's that's an extremely challenging thing to know, but it's something to take into account that if you're doing something different, if you are trying to bring an independent reading or independent writing, um, you have to just acknowledge that not everyone is where you're at. Not everyone is deeply comfortable with trying something outside of the ordinary, Um Everyone is in their own place, the same way as students are. Adults are very similar. Um, So what it comes down to, I think, is just knowing the people around you. And if you are on a team where everyone feels, you know, that they feel it's very unified and you can bring an idea and people can either say, oh, that sounds awesome and, and roll with you or... Uh, they can respectfully go, yeah, you know what? That sounds great. Let me know how that goes, right? Um, Then that's awesome. That's a great team. But if you're on a team that maybe addresses things a little bit more hostile or you have a partner that isn't as um, into doing different things or maybe they're just set in their ways because they've been teaching for 25 years and feel like they understand what they're doing, then you you don't always have to advocate for your team to be like you. You really don't. You know, the phrase close your door is there for a reason in teaching. And sometimes you have to be the lone wolf. Sometimes you have to go, you know what? I think this is right. This is what I'm going to do. At the very least, I'm going to try it. Um, I don't really care if my partner does it. I don't care if they do it. The only person you should care about how they feel is your appraiser and the people that pay your paychecks. And if they're happy with you by the end of the day, then it doesn't matter. Um, and I mean, that's, we would like it not to be that way, right? We would like us to all have great partners and great teams that are acceptable, but, um, we don't, we don't always have those things. And you, I think if you're someone who really wants to do right by your students and advocate for them, um, for in a variety of ways, specifically in the ways that you teach and to try new things and to do things that are outside of the box and uh, do things that are based on research, then you have to be willing to be alone because not everyone wants to do that. Not everyone is obsessed with this in the same way that we are. Not everyone is obsessed with improving um, at this level or not everyone, not, not, there are people that don't even care about independent reading or writing. They just don't want students to do it. They feel like they should control everything a student reads, does with reading, does with writing. They can't pick their own topics because they want their their students to only write about their ideas because their ideas are clearly better because they're 40 years old and those kids are 12 years old and they shouldn't write about what they want. Those people exist. And if you're a teacher who is doing right by kids, then you have to be comfortable then letting those people be who they are. 
You let them be who they are because the world works out in a lot of ways for a lot of people. And we know what's right. We know what's right for our students in our classrooms. And what I mean by that is the more you know about your kids, the more that you learn, the more you try, you learn these things. You learn uh, what works in mini lessons and what works in independent reading and how do you get kids to write. And I think the the best advocate for students is someone who is unwavering in their dedication to students. The best compliment we've ever had on this podcast, Miss Ochoa, was the 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 comment that they they were it was on Apple Podcasts. They said it was student centered. This is no matter what, no matter if it's easy or not, they talk about what is student centered. And I think that is that's the heart of what we're talking about here is at true advocacy. For students, whether it is in a lesson, a, a teaching method, um, advocating for them to be in the classes that they need to be in, advocating for differentiated classes, all of this stuff, advocating for kids to be seen in classrooms for who they are and to be accepted for who they are um, in a variety of ways. All of that comes down to students first. And I think if we're doing that, then this stuff, it works itself out, but you have to be comfortable being a lone wolf because not everyone is willing to do it. But luckily I think the, the people that listen to the show and the people that are just, I think the vast majority of teachers are willing to do this. Um, it just takes time and effort. I don't know. Thoughts. Well, I was, as you were talking, I, I answered my own question. <laughs> what would I, what would I do? Uh, today. And I think I was afraid back then to advocate for myself. And I, I was attacked and it was harsh. It was harsh. But if I could go back and do it, and I think it has transformed the way I do things now. And that is, I would have been more personable with my principal and my appraiser. And I would have made sure they understood what I was doing and why I was doing it. I would just set up a meeting before I even got started. As a matter of fact, you know, I came to your school. One of the first things that I did was set up a meeting with our principals, each one of the vice principals, assistant principals, not knowing who. Uh, and I set up and I, and I talked to them about how I like to do things, how I like to do discipline, and were they okay with that? And both of them were explaining to me, yes, that they were okay with, and they liked what I had to say. And, and you know what, every time, because I had that explanation and we just had a conversation before any problems ever happened. And I explained a little bit about me just, you know, cause I didn't know them. So I just went in to kind of introduce myself, but in that introduction, uh, I kind of gave a little bit of, well, this is how I like to do things. Is this okay for our school? And I did it in such a way that I want to be a part of this school. I want to make sure I do what y'all want. This is how I like to do things. Is that okay? And of course I got at at this school, of course, we're going to get a yes. And so, but by doing that, anytime I had an issue or anything, I was never not uh, backed up by our principals. You know what I mean? They were, they were always there, but I think it's because we had a discussion at the beginning of the year, which really helped. And we just have those kind of principles, but, um, I've been there where where I didn't, but I think that's what I didn't do way back when. I didn't make sure that my principals were on board with what I was doing. And so the hearsay went to them. So now I just pretty much tell them myself way before anybody ever gets a chance to. And that just takes care of it. And I'm like, hey, just letting you know, uh, today we were doing this. And also another thing that I would do is invite them to my room 
those principles that were believed what was being said, if you will, back then, guess what I didn't do? I didn't invite them to my room. They never saw what my kids were doing. They only got what the other teachers who were not getting the results that I was getting, and uh, they were not happy about it. So uh, I find that that's, you know, I, I even had conversations where that conversation came back to me through a principal, but I was too afraid to advocate for myself. And I think it, I, you know, I mean, I think that the method that, I mean, the path I ended up taking all these years, of course, we're talking 15, 20 years ago. I mean, it was a long time ago, but, but it was good experience for me because I took that experience and I used it to advocate for other teachers. I've used it to help and mentor other teachers. And as a matter of fact, one of my principals, anytime that uh, there was a parent conference or another teacher was having some issues, the first thing she would do is say, you need to go see Ms. Ochoa. She will help you through this. And I wasn't even a mentor at the time. I was just a teacher. I'm still just a teacher. But what I mean is... I was not a mentor at that time, in other words, but but because I got to another principal and talked to the principal and she knew what I was doing, she would actually send teachers my way before I was ever even considered by our district as a as a coach. So um, but I think I think getting to know your your uh people that are in above you and not going above anyone's head. You always go through that chain of command to advocate. You never advocate above, you advocate to the next level. And I think, um, you know, I think, uh, did you ever watch the movie Saving Private Ryan? Yeah. Okay, well, there's that one where they're like, well, who do you complain to? He goes, you always complain up. You always, you know, you don't go too far up, but you go to the next level and you never complain down, (laughs) right? And so if you keep those principles in mind, when you advocate, you advocate to the next step that needs to be advocated to, and then you move that way and then let that person advocate for you at the next level. Yeah. So I second the idea of being open with like, Hey, I'm trying this. Can you come watch or et cetera, et cetera. I, you know, the more you're open, I think I say that rightfully empowered too, when I'm trying to encourage people, if you're in a tight spot and you're not in a place that accepts this, you know, try to build those relationships first, right? You know, as much as you may have to end up being the lone wolf, building that relationship, building that partnership with your admin or your DC or whoever, uh, your coach, um, I think it really does go a long way. It's, it's inviting them in. So now you're no longer doing something, you know, on your own and being a renegade. Now it's a partnership and it's a better mm-hmm. one. And that, and leave it up to you to make the better point. But this is craft and draft, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, that's Rebel Joe. I'm Jacob Chastain. We are two English teachers out of the state of Texas. Hopefully you enjoyed this episode. If you did subscribe to the podcast, so you don't miss anything. If you want more craft and draft and you want bonus episodes, no one else hears. If you want special videos, no one else sees. And if you want discounts on our upcoming PD to get your August running and your workshop thriving and your own craft and draft journals working for your students, Join us over there on Patreon. All of that is happening over there and more. If you don't want to join us on Patreon and support us that way, then stay tuned. There will be ways for you to join the upcoming trainings uh, once we announce those. So stay tuned in all of our social media. Uh, You can like us over there on Facebook at Craft and Draft or just follow me on social media. I kind of just take the helm of these things since (laughs) I'm already doing all of these. I've been posting more and more Craft and Draft stuff. Um, I don't know why. I've just been really in the mode 
to post uh, various conversations. But so people, if you want that announcement and to join some of this PD, uh, do that so you don't forget anything. But I want to do one more shout out to our Patreon supporters. They are Alicia, Brandy, Leah, Mark, Amy, Sarah, Rebecca, Courtney, and Carol. They support this podcast just like you can and keep the lights on, keep the podcast coming and all the extra PD coming your way. Come back next week next Friday and we'll be dropping yet another episode if you want a question answered you can message us at craftandtraftworkshop.com or you can message us at our Patreon if you join there we love answering questions sometimes we make a whole episode your question sometimes we just answer at the beginning or the end of an episode just depends on what the question is so submit it no question is a dumb question we love answering them all and it helps us uh, figure out what our topics are for the week just to be completely transparent but once again ladies and gentlemen know that we are here for you 